We're introduced to the idea of becoming moms quickly after being born ourselves. My nieces, three and six years old, love playing with dolls. The older one will even put a ball under her stomach and pretend that she's pregnant. When my guest, artist Mary Purdy, was young, she was also fascinated by babies. I would draw them and name them. I would draw little comics with the baby as the main character. Then it was just a fun topic for me to draw. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, that was totally my version of playing house and playing dolls. Some of us will grow up and leave the idea of motherhood behind. Some of us will still want kids, but struggle to conceive. A study by the World Health Organization released in April 2023 says that one in six people worldwide will experience infertility. The Mayo Clinic estimates that somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of pregnancies results in a miscarriage, cautioning that the number could be even higher considering some miscarry before realizing they're pregnant. Mary experienced five miscarriages and battled breast cancer, which she wrote about in her 2021 memoir, If You Really Knew Me. Through it all, she never lost hope that she would one day be a mom. I'm just going to go full force at this. I'm going to heal. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to get to the other side and there's going to be a baby eventually. And that was what was getting me to get out of bed and take a shower and get outside and do things for myself. I'm happy to say that Mary told me all about her journey while her curly-haired toddler, Ellis, napped in another room. I have a really funny video of him when he was six months, I want to say. I saw on TikTok someone was ripping paper in front of their infant and they were going wild with laughter. And I was like, that's so random. So I did it. (laughs) And he lost his mind laughing. My name is Erin Jensen, and this podcast has been a dream in my heart for a very long time. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a review. As an entertainment writer, I've talked to a number of celebrities. Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, some who weren't married to each other, The Rock, Selena Gomez. My favorite interviews are the ones that go beyond whatever project the star is looking to promote. Conversations that get into topics that we can all relate to. Things like failures, disappointments, My therapist would tell you, if he wasn't bound by HIPAA laws, that I could benefit from increasing my resiliency. I've never cried over spilled milk, but I have cried over spilled orange juice, which is why I'm in awe of people who are able to overcome what my mind views as unimaginable loss, inconceivable heartbreak, or an insurmountable challenge. If you've ever come across a remarkable story of triumph and thought to yourself, how on earth did they do that? Here's how. The yearning grew a lot once I met my husband and got married and it was like, okay, now this is not just an ambiguous dream. I can see our future. I can see what our child might look like and I can see us being parents tackling this together. Mary met her husband, DeAndre, on the dating site OkCupid in 2015 when they were both living in New York City. We moved really fast. We kind of knew right away, I think this is it. Moved in together after three months and then on our five-year anniversary, we got married. Mary describes DeAndre in her book as her perfect complement. He's, quote, an excellent hype man, she writes, which works out well for me since I regularly fall into anxious spirals and self-deprecation traps and often need a hand climbing out. When I find myself neck deep in negativity, I can tap DeAndre on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm struggling. Can you give me an ego boost, please? And he gives me his full attention before tossing a bucket of confetti at my wounded ego. About eight months after tying the knot, on May 15, 2015, Mary and DeAndre learned that they were pregnant. I was also doing all the prep 
from the time we got married. I bought Taking Charge of Your Fertility book. I followed all the guidelines. I did all the checks to see when I was ovulating. I was taking my temperature every morning. I did the whole nine yards to be like, I'm ready. I know my body. This is going to work. We got pregnant on the third cycle. So it was really quick. And I was like, I did it. It was like success. I achieved this thing that I was like studying for. And I got to the final exam, but it wasn't the final exam because the pregnancy test is just the beginning of a long journey. And you lose the baby and it's a pain so severe. You say, I believed I would die if I stayed fully present to feel the magnitude of that moment. I thought with absolute certainty, I cannot make it to the other side of this. I'm not this strong. It was surreal. I had friends who'd had miscarriages and seeing them go through that. I was like, this is my worst nightmare. Even before we found out, I was always thinking about it. Like, I hope that this doesn't happen to me. And I really thought I put in so many months of getting my body ready for this. If I have to start from square one, it just felt way too overwhelming. Like I can't go back to square one. I've come this far. And even though it doesn't sound like it's that far, like eight weeks pregnant, seems very early, but all the prep work I did, all the crying every time I got my period, every time I got a negative test, even though we got pregnant quickly, it felt longer because I had been trying and I'd been doing everything every day. But my husband (laughs) keeping me grounded was like, it's okay. We're going to grieve. We're going to heal. We will try again. And it's okay. It happens to so many people. We're going to get through this. He took really good care of me emotionally. You eventually find your new normal and realize I will live with this grief forever, but I can manage it and I can move forward and not let it destroy me. You decide that you want to try again and then there's another miscarriage and then there's a third miscarriage. And you write after that, quote, a stream of harsh words flooded my mind, each now directed at my body. You broken piece of shit. Why can't you get this right? I hate you. What does that feel like? I felt like I did everything right. So how unfair of this to keep happening to me. I was very resentful and angry at just strangers, just the idea that people could get pregnant by accident. Teenagers getting pregnant, people who don't want to get pregnant getting pregnant just infuriated me. Love and yearning should be enough. I really just felt it's just so unfair that the wanting, the dream in my heart and the yearning for a child was not enough to bring them here. I was angry at everyone. And so, of course, being angry at myself was going to be part of that. I was angry at the world. I was angry at myself. I was angry at my husband for not being more upset with me or being more emotional while he's trying to stay grounded and take care of me. I'm falling apart. I'm like, I just want you to fall apart. I don't want you to pick up the pieces. I need someone to fall apart with me so I feel like I'm not alone. And I know now, of course, that it wasn't my fault. Those first four miscarriages were because I had a uterine anomaly. A lot of people have a lot of miscarriages with no explanation. Before I found out, it was hard to live in my body and be like, why can't I do this thing that comes so easily for so many women? And I'm trying and doing my best and doing everything by the book. Mary had a uterine septum, a membrane that created a division in her uterus. The reason that it caused miscarriages was because the septum tissue is taking up space in prime implantation territory. So where the embryo is most likely to implant is going to implant on the septum tissue. And that tissue is not the same as the rest of the uterus. And there's just not enough blood supply to support a full term pregnancy. There was basically enough 
of a blood supply to get them to seven weeks. And all of my miscarriages, the first four anyway, all ended at the same time because that was when the blood supply ran out. After surgery to remove the septum, Mary and DeAndre were ready to try again. They successfully got pregnant and she bought the maternity genes that she'd been eyeing. Tragically, at their 12-week appointment, there was no heartbeat. You said before you didn't think one miscarriage was fathomable. Now you have five in less than two years. What is going through your mind? What emotions are you experiencing then at that point? This one stumped us and our doctors. So it's just the darkest moment because I felt like I have nothing left to give. I've done everything that I can. I did everything right. And I still end up with a miscarriage. I couldn't imagine ever coming out of the depression that that caused. It just felt like I was never going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. There's no, we'll get through this, we'll heal, and we'll try again. There was just none of that. My husband and I were both just thinking, this is too much. It's just too much for one person, for me to go through that physically and emotionally, and for us as a couple to go through emotionally. We were like, we need time. Three months after her fifth miscarriage, Mary found a lump in her chest. In just about a week, she was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 35. And that was a big moment where I thought, okay, everything in the world is conspiring against me <laughs> having a baby. Maybe it's just going to be me and DeAndre. And trying to be okay with that, just trying to accept that. And it, I resisted. Mary asked at her first appointment with her surgeon when she would be able to try to get pregnant again. Once I was diagnosed with breast cancer, it was almost like my dreams became urgent again. I just needed something to hold on to. Prior to undergoing cancer treatment, Mary and DeAndre froze seven embryos. You have five miscarriages. You are diagnosed with breast cancer. How do you get up out of bed? What does it feel like going through your day? I didn't get out of bed for a while <laughs> at first. I had healed after the fifth miscarriage. I had done a lot of hard work. I was going to breathwork circles. I was going on nature hikes, meditating in nature, and just really filling myself up, just trying really hard to nourish myself spiritually and emotionally and physically. So when the breast cancer diagnosis came and fell into my lap, it was like, I've come so far in my healing. I think it didn't destroy me as much because I had done all that work, but it definitely set me back. For a while, I did lay in bed a lot of days. And then I would just think about all the things that I had been doing before I was diagnosed with cancer. Between those three months of losing the baby and my breast cancer diagnosis of really nourishing to be intentional with my self-care. And I shouldn't give that up. I grieved the diagnosis and the way my life was going to look and was like, I just got to dust myself off and get through it. Once I processed that that was happening to me, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go full force at this. I'm going to heal. I'm going to get through it. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to get to the other side and there's going to be a baby eventually. And that was what was keeping me and getting me to get out of bed and take a shower and get outside and do things for myself. Mary dealt with her despair by creating art. I've always loved to draw. I've always been an artist. And so making and creating art from my grief was one of the most healing things that I did. 
grief is so universal. I knew that it would reach people who needed to see it and comfort other people the way it comforted me. And that's exactly what happened. A lot of self-care focused art, because that's one thing that I really was denying myself. I was preparing my body for baby for so long that I was neglecting my own emotional needs. On Mother's Day, really hard. I always tried to make a point to post something for the people who had a hard time seeing all the Mother's Day posts. One year, I remember I drew a baby mobile and it said, not this year. And it was just that I can't believe another Mother's Day has gone by and I'm not even pregnant and I can't even see a future. I have no idea what the future holds. And it was so sad. What can people say if their friend experiences a miscarriage? What way can they show up for them? No canned Hallmark platitudes. I really hated when people say God has a plan or everything happens for a reason. That's not helpful or useful or it doesn't feel good. It's really nice to just acknowledge how big of a loss it is. I am so sorry. That's devastating that that happened to you. And I'm so sorry. And I hope you can take space for yourself and heal. A lot of people sent me flowers. I didn't really like that, but some people really like that. Treat it like a death and not just like, I lost a baby at six weeks or whatever. Be there to listen, acknowledge that it was a real living person because a lot of people who have miscarriages, it's something they've been dreaming about for a long time and it feels just the same as losing a full grown loved one. Mary's book concludes before she and DeAndre welcomed their son via surrogate. They turned to surrogacy because Mary is on a medication long-term to prevent her breast cancer from returning and was told it wouldn't allow for a healthy pregnancy. While going through cancer treatment, Mary delighted in researching surrogacy. Just to be like, okay, we're going to do this one day. It seems really out of reach, but my mantra was, I don't need to know how it's going to happen, but I just have to believe that it will happen. One day, I don't know, we'll win the lottery or something's going to happen because we're not wealthy. It's over $100,000 in this country. In the summer of 2020, Mary learned of BabyQuest Foundation, which provides grants to ease the expense of fertility treatments. They had an application cycle deadline coming up in September. And so I watched a live Zoom on their Instagram, how to make your application stand out. I was like, okay, I'm back to like being the good student. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to take notes. And at the very last 30 seconds, the founder was like, oh, by the way, this cycle, we're going to have a special grant for a cancer survivor. I could feel like the light of heaven, like shining down. This is my moment. My intuition was like, you are that person. You're going to get the grant. I put all the paperwork together, got all our medical records and submitted it. And a month goes by and I'm coming home from the grocery store and I get an email that's like, I'm sorry, we couldn't grant you the money. They try to give it to a lot of people each deadline cycle. And I had asked for the max amount, which was 20,000. And they're like, we just didn't have it in the funds. I was truly devastated. It felt like another loss because I was so sure. How could my intuition fail me? Everything in my bones was telling me, this is your time. I was angry. I was back to that anger and just grief. And I was like, enough already. I just thought, okay, when? Literally screaming out the window, like, when is it going to happen? It's so unfair. And then not even 24 hours later, I get an email. BabyQuest passed along your application. We have some grant money for you, but we also have a lot of donated services that we'd like to offer you. 
So we jumped on a Zoom call with them. It was um, the president of a surrogate agency and then a woman who was also a breast cancer survivor who had a baby through surrogacy, who started a foundation. And so they gave us grant money. San Diego Fertility Center gave us free IVF services for our surrogate. And our agency discounted their fee. We got discounted medication. They got lawyers to do pro bono contracts and free therapy screening for us and our surrogate. It was better than anything we could have asked for. With the boost of funds from family and friends, Mary and DeAndre had enough for a surrogate. It was just a dream come true, the greatest gift in the world. Mary and DeAndre also fell in love with their surrogate, Angie, who provided her service at a discount. Our agency coordinator asked her, would you be willing to lower your fee? We didn't ask her to do that, but they were like, let's try to help Mary and DeAndre. And she was like, yeah, totally cut her fee in half. For her to put her body through this for 50% of her original fee just shows that it's a completely selfless act. Angie was great at communication. I remember the first time she texted us at like 11 p.m. on a Friday night around 18 weeks. And I was like, oh my God, I'm really nervous to see that she's texted us at 11 p.m. What's going on? I opened it and she's like, I just felt the baby kick for the first time. And I just felt like I got to experience it in real time because she didn't wait to tell us. And that was really beautiful. I woke DeAndre up. I'm like, the baby kick. She sent us bump pictures every week. Ahead of the arrival of their son in January 2022, Mary and DeAndre traveled to Phoenix where Angie lived. She texted us on the 14th of January, don't go to sleep. My water broke, it's leaking, and um, we're going to the birth center. She labored for like five hours, and I just hear, Mary, get in here. I like run in, and Angie's in the shower on her knees. Her friend's holding the warm shower water on her back, and the midwife is crouched down. You can see his head. His head was coming out, and I crouched my knees on wet towels. And then the midwife said, Angie, I need you to push one more time, one more push. And Angie, just so exhausted, she's like, I can't do it. I can't. And then she did. She gave it her one big push and he came out. Slippery little thing. And the midwife put him right in my arms. I was like full body shaking. It was really beautiful. And thankfully they had the other midwife who was there assisting with like taking pictures. Angie kissed my forehead. Ellis is like in between our bodies. And she wrapped her arm around my neck, kissed my forehead and was like, you're a mom, you're a mom. It was just the best moment of my life up until that point. I couldn't have asked for a more beautiful birth story. How does it feel after everything you've been through to finally like lay your eyes on him and hold your baby? And I love in the book, you say, I'm a mom to children you can't see, but mm-hmm. just to actually get to hold one of your babies. It was, oh my God, it was magical. I was like, he's here. I just told DeAndre, he's here. And he came on January 15th, which is our lucky number. It just felt like everything was in alignment. Just remember thinking, oh my God, he's so slippery and like floppy. Like I didn't know newborns were so floppy. You just see like a little baby that looks like a little potato rolled up in a blanket. But when they first come out, they're like a floppy noodle. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is my son. I held him for like a really long time. And then DeAndre gave him his first bottle. And it was just like, I mean, elated, elated. I, I've never had that much euphoria running through my body. And we went home back to our Airbnb. They were like, okay, you're good. You're ready. He's fed. He's dressed. He's diapered. You can head home at like 5 a.m. And we're like, what? You're going to send us home with the baby? We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) And it was just so fun. And we stayed up. We put him in his bassinet and we just couldn't go to sleep. We just stared at him. We just were like, that's our baby. And my husband cried. He just broke down for a moment in our Airbnb. And I was like, this is why 
we went through all of this. This is what is meant to be. And we didn't put him down for a month. We just, <laughs> even through all that, we just never wanted to put him down. We were fighting over who gets to hold him, you know? <laughs> it was just such a perfect, beautiful ending to our five miscarriages and our breast cancer diagnosis. It was just the most perfect love story. How does being a mom compare to what you imagined it for so long to be? It's the best thing I've ever done. I feel like it's my purpose. I love it. I mean, it's so hard. Everyone says that it's hard. And I would hate when people would say that because it's like, I don't care. I'll take the hard. Everything's hard. Like life is hard. I want that hard. It is hard, but the most rewarding thing I've ever done because he's just the best. Watching him grow, making him smile and laugh is the light of my life. I never want to do anything else but make him laugh and smile and teach him things. But I just love being a mom. I just don't think there's anything better. Every night before bedtime, I ask him if he needs his sillies shaken out. <laughs> and so we do a little shake your sillies out thing. Where what like, does that mean? What are your sillies? I want to get all his energy, the burst of energy out before bedtime. So I'll tickle him and chase him. And as soon as I say, do you need your silly shaken out? He like <gasps> lights up and runs behind the couch to hide. And he's laughing. It's just so much fun. And he just goes wild laughing. And I'll like tickle him. I'll hold him upside down and shake him. I'll throw him on the bed. Just anything to make him laugh. And for a little nightly ritual. And it's so fun. What would you say to people experiencing a difficulty having a baby? I always want to tell people, pardon my language, but it just fucking sucks. There's no reason. It's not fair. People like to say everything happens for a reason. It'll become clear later, but it doesn't matter right now. It sucks. And there's no good reason why it should happen, especially people who want it so badly that they're willing to put their body through IVF and all the things that come with infertility treatments. There's no rhyme or reason to it. And my best advice, and this is like a little bit more woo-woo or spiritual, but I would write letters to the baby. One thing that I've always believed is that if you're yearning for something, it is yearning for you too. So if you're yearning to be a mom, more than likely there's a baby in the spirit world that's yearning for you to be their parent. So it's going to happen and healing is super important. Sometimes it just takes a little time. And I just want to emphasize it's so unfair <laughs> and there's no reason. It's my sincere hope that all who are yearning for children get to be parents soon. And I hope Mary's story makes you feel less alone. I thank her so much for sharing her experience with all of us. If you're enjoying Here's How, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend about the show. Follow Here's How podcast, all one word, on Instagram so you don't miss one opportunity to be inspired.